Welcome to the LC Parent Podcast, where we get real about the struggles, victories, and laughs we share as parents. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. I'm so excited about this episode of the LC Parents Podcast. I'm Allie Evans. I am the leader of Next Gen Ministry here at Life Church. It is an amazing job. We get to lead kids and students and partner with parents as we help kids grow in their relationship with Jesus. And today we have an incredibly special guest. Uh, we have with us Dr. Deb Shropshire, and she is the Director of Child Welfare Services here in Oklahoma. And she's also a pediatrician. So we're so thankful to have her here. Thank you, Deb. And so, Deb, just fill us in a little bit. We're going to, we've got a lot to talk about today. The thing that I'm probably most excited about is that the simplicity of our messaging today really is about hope. And man, what a, a great topic for us to wind to. But I want you to help us catch up. Tell us a little bit about you, what it is that you do as the Director of Child Welfare Services, and then also what value is it that you're a pediatrician in that role? Yeah, so thanks for having me. I'm super excited to, so to get to be here. I am uh, serving in this role as the Director of Child Welfare, and we'll get to that, but I'm a pediatrician by training. Um, I didn't actually, uh, wasn't planning to be a pediatrician when I was growing up. I don't, I'm not very nurturing, <laughs> but, um, but I really fell in love when I was in medical school with kids who are in foster care and with families who take in those kids and also with the parents who have lost their kids to foster care and are fighting um, to try to um, do the things that they need to do as a family to, to strengthen. And I saw the... Um, both the um, the, the um, sadness and grief of that, but also the incredible strength of Ooh. people who have had uh, different experiences in life than I have. And in in seeing that, I think I also saw that any one of us can be in a different place that's, that's harder than we are with one different decision, one different uh, life circumstance. And so I felt a lot of um, not just compassion, but I think empathy and also connection to families who are struggling. I think right. we all struggle, right? Yeah. <laughs> all of us as families um, have certain things that we need. And some people have a, a leg up on having those things that, that others don't. And I think it's our obligation to try to figure out how to strengthen each other. And so I wound up in pediatrics and um, stayed kind of alongside the child welfare system. And now years later, have the opportunity to lead uh, the child welfare system in our state. So it's a pretty interesting journey. This is, it's also so great for me to be with you guys because this is my home church. Yeah. And so um, uh, we've been um, uh, at part of Life Church actually since 9-11, shortly after 9-11 oh, wow. was the event um, in America that caused us to uh, kind of trying to figure out where we, we needed to land. And, and that's how we wound up at Life Church. So mm-hmm. we've been with Life Church for a number of years now. Tell me about your family dynamic. So I, uh, I so much appreciate people who uh, foster and take extra kids home. I've never wanted to do that. Um, <laughs> and that's, I think, why I'm so fascinated yeah. with foster families who say, yeah, come on over. Yeah. Um, I did not have kids until I was, I'd been married for a number of years and was actually already a pediatrician. And so I had given lots of people good advice about how to, you know, potty train and how to get their kids to sleep at night and all these things. And I realized once I had my own children, that was all ridiculousness. <laughs> there was no, nothing good in the advice. I, and so for those people who came to my clinic when I didn't have children, I gave you dumb advice. I'm so sorry. That's awesome. Um, parenting is much harder than I learned from a textbook. Right. And so I, I have a deep appreciation for 
uh, for parents and just how hard it is because even with the uh, knowledge and the um, friends and the family and all the supports I had, um, I found myself at moments where I didn't think I could do it, where I was frustrated to the max, where um, I was calling grandma saying, you better come get this kid, you know, those kinds of things. And it struck me, how do you do this Mm -hmm. if you don't have a supportive partner, family members, community members, uh, food on the table at night. Right. Like the many people that I encounter um, who literally are alone and with very few resources, how in the world do you do this parenting thing? Mm-hmm. So I have a deep appreciation for parents because I, t- I thought I knew what I was doing before I actually became one, and then I realized how hard it was. Right. <laughs> you know, you and I, before we got all mic'd up, you were talking to me about really the crisis that we're in right now, this healthcare crisis that we're in. I'm listening to our government officials and we're all talking about the stock market and all of these things. But the truth is, Deb, there are so many families who before all this happened, were struggling to get food on the table. And we're already um, in a situation where things were, were tough and it's difficult for families. It's difficult for a parent. And so talk a little bit about what these additional stressors, how this might be impacting families and something that we all need to be aware of. And I know that there are listeners right now who are in both categories. Mm -hmm. Things are okay. We're both still employed. You know, there are two parents in the home and all those kinds of things. And there are plenty of listeners who are on the other side. And so I just want to make sure that we're talking to all of that audience today. So share with us a little bit about these additional stressors. Yeah. So um, certainly over the years and now in my role uh, with child welfare, uh, one of the things about child welfare in some states it's called children and family services um, the responsibility that we have is really to um, encounter families who are struggling and for whom that struggle has led to concerns about safety for their children and what we find in that long before the current health crisis that we're dealing with what we find in that is the vast majority of the families we encounter mm-hmm. um, where someone has a concern about safety the family actually has a need um, a practical need it could be that they have tangible needs like not adequate food or shelter. It could uh, be things like they don't actually understand um, how to parent children or kind of the Mm. developmental understanding of what children need. could be that they themselves have experienced a ton of trauma in their own life or their own growing up or their own adult life, and they don't maybe uh, fully understand how that trauma plays out in parenting and also in the the way that their their children may respond to situations. So when you take uh, the fact that that that's our normal before a public health crisis. Right. And then you add to it now the public health crisis um, that we're experiencing. And um, and you layer on top economic pressures mm. of people who often had uh, low-wage, often maybe part-time jobs right. that are now mostly gone. Um, folks that may have had limited um, stability in their housing mm-hmm. um, and may have had uh, limited stability in their food supplies. I mean, you think about, I mean, if I go to the grocery store, to my local grocery store, uh, I have to work pretty hard to find not not something to eat, but maybe the things I want. Right. And we've seen all the runs on right. groceries and paper goods and all those things. What if you're a family uh, that doesn't have the resource, um, the, the transportation resource, or the financial resource to go to five different grocery stores and find what you need? Right. Um, or the transportation to be able to get there at the right time 
of day when they first stock the shelves. Mm-hmm. That's the practical reality of many of our families, not to mention the fact that with schools closed and things like that, there are additional pressures of just having your children home with you, um, again, without maybe some access to some of those practical right. supports, such as another adult who's helping you learn how to do this thing. Right. Um, we're all, I think, a little bit crazy trying to figure out how to set up home life for our children who are home from school. And it's very True. challenging for those families that um, that literally getting out of bed and, and getting through the day safely is, is hard. So mm-hmm. we're seeing the, this sort of this, the crisis in families that predated a public health crisis, right? Uh, kind of collide with a public health crisis that has now shut down access to many of the services and jobs and things like that that families have. Right. And it is a critical time for the church, is a critical time for uh, government, for agencies like child welfare, um, to actually run toward people instead of um, backing away. That's because good. Because people need us uh, to be checking on them. Now, we mm-hmm. may need to do that in different ways. Right. But they need us to be uh, saying, hey, we're here for you. Um, we're not um, running away just because of the public health. Right. Piece. Well, you know, you and I talked... Um, Actually, when we were scheduled to do this podcast uh, a month or so ago, initially we had a different focus, but we're going to wrap back to it actually because it's so relevant. Talk to us about the role that hope plays. You know, a lot of times when we think of hope, it feels like a feeling that hope is this thing that you can sort of conjure up. Um, But there is a great book, a great resource that so many of our staff here and our attenders at Life Church and people across the globe have now gotten a hold of called Hope Rising. And I want you to talk a little bit about the role that hope plays in getting through a situation like this. And even like you mentioned, even um, pre-health crisis, uh, hope plays a significant role in our ability to press through, and it's more than just a feeling. It is, and so I think it's important. You know, I have a little bit of a science mind. I'm not much of a doctor anymore because I mostly hang out with social workers, but I still have that kind of science <laughs> mind of a physician. And one thing that we understand about trauma and stress is that it affects your mind, but then the solution to it also is in your mind. Mm. And um, what we know about actually not hope so much as an emotion, but hope as a science is that uh, we actually have a part to play in the future being better. And that's actually what hope is. It is the idea that we can imagine a different looking future than we have today. And that not only can we imagine it, um, but that we actually have a part to play in it. And we believe that we have the skills or we can find people who can help us gain the skills and the resources and the pathways to be able to get there. And so it is uh, an actionable thing, not just an emotional one. It's a really, really critical, um, really critical thing that our system is learning. And I'm so pleased to see so many organizations and systems picking up the idea, not just the science of trauma um, and adversity, but also the science of how do you overcome that? It's a real thing. And I particularly love it when science, scripture, um, you know, faith, lineup, psychology, right. when all these different fields that seem sometimes to be a little bit sometimes at odds are all saying the same thing, then you know you've got real truth there. Right. And so I think that's why it's actually resonating in so many different fields is because it's the truth. Right. You know, we were talking earlier, too, about uh, Pastor Craig's message. Tell me what you're thinking about that. Yeah, so I um, uh, the message this weekend we were watching, you know, online because uh, we were not able to meet because of the public health crisis, and I loved it that uh, one of the phrases that he 
uh, utilized was the phrase about being hope dealers. And that's something that in our organization, Child Welfare, we've been talking about. How do we, in a sense, release the social work world um, to become hope dealers? Um, there are a lot of times we're going to encounter people where um, perhaps law or other, other kinds of factors may cause a decision or an action to go in a certain direction. But at the end of every single one of those, if I take the resp personal responsibility to say, I'm going to try to figure out how to deal hope to every single person I'm interacting with, whether it's a parent, a child, an elderly person, whoever it is, I'm a hope dealer and that's what I'm always going to do. Um, how different could human services government-delivered human services look Ooh. if we took that approach, that right. our job is to help people set goals, that's the cognitive part of hope, to help break barriers to achieving those goals, and then to help people stay motivated and on kind of on the path to achieving those goals. That's the practical uh, piece of hope. H how uh, powerful would it be if we could do that? Yeah, that's so great. And, you know, I'll be transparent here that, you know, you would think that the church would always function in this, you know, we're always in the middle of hope. Um, but there are times that as we're leading as a volunteer or even as a staff member, there are times that we can kind of get in the function of our role as ministry mm -hmm. leader or volunteer leader in ministry, whatever that looks like. And we can kind of forget that we really are hope dealers. And I love that we're in a place where um, we're reconnected to that in a way mm -hmm. that's very, very powerful, incredibly relevant, in a way that's truly helping people. And we're drawing on that compassion to sort of execute this hope and to help other people gain hope. Right. So talk to me a little bit more about, you mentioned um, kind of the agency aspect and the pathways. And the, talk about those two elements. Mm -hmm. As I read Hope Rising, those were the things that stood out to me the most, that those are so practical. And as I'm um, pastoring people or leading people or even just giving advice to a friend that needs hope, those are two really tangible things that I can help them get a hold of. Talk us through what that looks like. Yeah. So the the basic principles of the science of hope are the idea that in our mind we can identify what a future, what we want our future to look like. But then the other two important elements are: do we actually have the ability to pull it off? Do we actually have the roadway or the pathway to get from A to B, the thing that we dream about? Um, and do we actually have um, the the sort of uh, motivation or ability to stick to it? And I think sometimes that idea of sort of motivation can sound a little bit like, well, you're either motivated person, a self-motivated person, or you're not, none of us are, <laughs> none of us are motivated alone. E right. Even people who would say they're the most internally self-motivated have cheering squads, right? Mm. You have those people you call on the day when you're sort of exhausted or done, or you're like, I'm never going to reach that goal. So I think it's incredibly, we have incredible opportunity as we interact with people to influence both of those, both to break barriers for people, if we see someone trying to move from where they are to where they dream about, what can I do to actively uh, help clear the road? That's good. Let me, I'm going to pause you just for a second, because as I think about what we're currently experiencing, we're all trapped in our houses. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I yeah. say trapped, but it, it, people are in isolation mm -hmm. and we need to be. We need people to sort of obey the rules, you know, stay at home, um, kind of shelter in place, as many states are calling it. And uh, in that, how can we continue to help people that are isolated mm -hmm. and they need uh, they need that agency piece of hope more than ever how can we actively as Christ followers engage that for people so I, you know I think there's a lot of different ways and I think everybody has to sort of find the way they can do it 
But but you're you're right. We are sort of in a sense segregated and isolated right now. But that doesn't mean we're not incredibly connected through a lot of technology as well. Right. And um, with <laughs> thank goodness for Amazon and right. all the other <laughs> you know delivery services that we have. Um, you know, if the truth of the matter is, if I knew someone was hungry, I would be able to figure out how to get them food. Yes. Right. Not everyone might be able to do that, but I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I uh, am pretty good at at connecting people. And so, if I hear somebody over here that has a problem or a need or something, I'm usually like, "Oh, you should talk to so and so, and they can they can help you." I think seeking opportunities, even from our homes, even sitting on my couch, kind of in in isolation because of the public health situation we're in. Um, um, we have to be consciously thinking about how we can eliminate barriers, and we can do that, uh, like I said, through a variety of technology. Uh, we have many people who are still out in the community serving, volunteering, dropping mm-hmm. things at people's homes, et cetera. Um, even just, uh, even just um, uh, calling and checking on people and listening to what it is they're dreaming about. That's good. Um, I think is really important because then sometimes then that helps us understand. Do we have, or imagine, do we have a place in actually helping that that dream be achieved? What can right. we do? So it's the, we're setting a goal. Mm-hmm. So whatever your situation mm-hmm. is, where, where hope is kind of that key ingredient, you're setting a goal. It yep. Potentially it's a health goal. It could be a financial goal, mm-hmm. uh, a, a goal in your relationships. And so what I'm hearing you say is that we need pathways, which are kind of the steps Mm -hmm. to get to it. I need to be able to sit and think about how do I get from A to my goal? And then I need people around me, kind of the agency piece, or I think is what the book calls it. Motivation, yeah. Yeah, that motivation piece. And I I do need people Mm -hmm. in my life. And to... um, even in a time where we are technically isolated, making sure that I'm open Mm -hmm. to connections and open to my accountability and open to those people who are going to encourage me and press me along. Yeah. And I think it's a couple of things. The, the back to the pathway piece, um, you mentioned it being steps and it Mm -hmm. is steps. Most of us don't get from, from today to what we dream about in one step. Most Mm -hmm. of us, it takes a lot of steps. Um, in times like this where there's a lot of uh, fear and a lot going on in the community. A lot of, you know, if you watch the news or things like that, there's just, it's just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. People can't think in big steps. Right. So it's also really important to help folks break a a dream, a hope down into baby actionable steps. Right. And I think sometimes we overestimate, like we think, well, I can't help in a situation because I can't help you move a big distance. That's good. The truth is people don't need us to help move them a big distance. They need us to help them move a small distance. And then they need that to happen again. And one of the things the author talks about is the idea of that hope begets hope. That once you have a little bit of a success and then you have another little bit of a success, then it by itself is motivating. And so you need the community around you. You need people around you motivating you. But but the other thing that is motivating is actually winning. Oh, that's good. A win, a win, a win. Yeah. And so we don't have to see ourselves, I don't think, as trying to help people take giant steps. Mm-hmm. Like we, see, we can see ourselves as trying to help uh, people take a baby step. Right. And that actually plays out in terms of the likelihood that they'll um, be able to continue that sort of pathway of hope. Right. You know, Deb, I have been in the last uh, week or so making a lot of phone calls, as is 
every staff member at Life Church. We're just calling every attender. Hey, we just want to check on you. And and I'll be honest, um, well, and even in my own life, I, I mean, you know, there's someone in my family who was just laid off yesterday. I mean, all of us are experiencing some degree of impact, trauma from this situation. And so as I'm on the phone with different sets of, of parents this week, calling parents, um, I was speaking with one woman this morning who is a hairstylist. So she's not employed right now. And and uh, her husband was already laid off prior to the healthcare crisis. They've got three kids at home. So they're sort of in the middle of this space where they feel hopeless. And so I had an opportunity to pray for her. So talk to us about what advice or what direction can you provide for her? Uh, what could I have said to her? I hope what I said was helpful and, and hopeful, but what would you say if you were on that phone call? Yeah, so um, I think that's a great question. And I think the, I think the, the other question is, what is it that I can bring to the conversation? Okay. We each bring our own um, experiences or our own assets in mm-hmm. a sense. And so I think the uh, approach of we should always be uh, creating opportunities to uh, to listen to people. Ooh. That is a gift alone. That's great. Uh, for someone who's home, they've had bad news, their spouse had bad news, their family is kind of hunkered down. Simply having someone call them and reach out and say, how are you doing, is a gift. Mm. And sometimes that's actually the thing we need to go, okay, now I can handle the next thing. I just right. needed that thing. So I think that by itself is a gift. That's um, encouraging. And knowing that someone is um, is praying for you and thinking of you and that you're seen um, is incredibly important. It's one of the things uh, we talk about with our staff a lot, actually, the importance of uh, people feeling valued even in the middle of incredibly hard times. Mm. So the families we're interacting with often in the child welfare space, I mean, this is these are some of the worst, often the worst days of their lives, mm. hardest days of their lives. Um, but... I need those folks to understand I'm pulling for you. I'm cheering for you. You are valuable. I see you. And a simple phone call like you're talking about, simply being willing to say, hey, can I pray with you, is a, a, a way to say I see you in the middle of this crisis that's affecting millions of people. I see you. Ooh. And that is an incredibly powerful thing. I also think sometimes we bring, um, like I said, our own um, connections or ability to help direct people toward things. And so depending on um, on people's own experiences or their skill sets, they, they may uh, talk with that lady and say, hey, I know actually how to connect you with a food bank. Right. Or I know how to connect you with somebody who can help with child care. Or what can I do to step in and help, in a sense, relieve some, some stress off of you? So I think the, the cool thing about the body of Christ is that uh, none of us are actually asked to do the whole thing, mm-hmm. but we're all asked to do what we can do. And so you don't have to be the world's best counselor to do this. You you could be a cook. Right. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm not. So my kids are eating a lot of frozen pizza right now because they're teenagers right. and they can fix it. Um, and I'm saying to them, bring me a piece because right. I'm busy working. They're doing their part. Right. But, um, you, you know, every single, every single um, gift and, and skill that we have, um, if we'll be open to it, can be used really to lift up other families, lift up other people and strengthen other people. And so I think the biggest thing is we have to continue to see each other. We have to be willing to take a minute and listen to somebody else's story. We're also really anxious right now to tell ours. Mm. So like I talk to people and I get the news feed of, you know, what's happening on the news or what's happening here and right. there. 
And I have to sometimes stop and remember um, that that even just taking a minute when I don't have it to listen and say, how are you doing and listen to someone is a gift. It's, it's very important. Um, and so like each one of those things I think is, is powerful in, um, in this kind of situation, people being seen, being heard, and then actually tangibly, what can people do to help each other during this time? I think that the nugget that I'm taking away is we don't have to do everything but we do get to do something. That's right. And I love that because it is overwhelming. You know, you see someone who is in dire straits. I've been that person. I've been the person in dire straits. And I'm sure people looked on me and thought, oh gosh, I can't help her. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of work to do here. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I certainly for me when I was in that situation, and I hope that I'm able to do it for others, is just the little thing. Mm-hmm. And I love what you're saying is just listening to people and, and seeing people is mm-hmm. a great first gift, uh, as you mentioned. So I don't have to do everything, but I do get to do something. And I love that. We do. And I think if we're willing to see people and to open the door to listen to them, that I think we also, especially if we're, um, if we really are also aligned with the Holy Spirit, I think then he tells us what to do next. Mm. I don't actually have to have it all figured out. He prompts me on the things I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do them. I Mm -hmm. also don't have to feel guilty if I don't know what to do. Come on. So there's a little bit of, I think, in social work space, in my space, in medical space, in social work space, a little bit of a sense of we have to sort of rescue people. And um, there is some practical reality to we spend our lives trying to, you know, trying to help people thrive and, and sometimes trying to save lives. There is some reality to that. But, um, but really what we are meant to do is to receive sort of the wisdom the Holy Spirit gives us at the time he gives it to us and operate on that and not to feel bad about the things we don't actually know how to do. Because again, in the context of the body of Christ, someone else out there is supposed to be doing that. Right. The challenge is if everybody's not doing their part, then right. we have some problems. And in a, in a season like this where our, our country's facing and the world really is facing an incredible health crisis combined with an economic crisis, all these things, I think we have the opportunity perhaps more than we have in my lifetime to do what what the church kind of looked like in Acts. I've yes. always read Acts and thought, I I want like how would we look like that? Mm-hmm. And we finally now have the chance to do that. Um, I think we have we're in a season where government working with the faith community is stronger, in, at least in our part of the country, than it ever has been. And we 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 have some real opportunities to, um, in a sense. Uh, to strengthen families, even in the middle of what seems like a devastating crisis. Yes. You know, it's interesting. Everybody keeps saying the same thing. And it's just, of course, we would never wish this on our world. You know, this is a horrible crisis that we're all in and we're all in it together. But at the end of the day, God is going to do what he does, which is generally draw our attention to how we can serve each other better, love each other better, and be a better reflection of Jesus. And I think that's exactly what you're describing is we 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 kind of have to we have to be there for each other and and i what i'm seeing is i'm seeing people take great joy in that and i think that's sort of this other piece the, the hope piece and then the joy that's um, can come out of a space when it feels like there is no joy. And it's been so great to see that in some of the stories that we've seen of people helping people mm-hmm. and bringing hope mm-hmm. to one another. I mean, from that comes this great joy. And I, I love that. Deb, I am so thankful for you spending, it's it's just not enough time. I could sit here for <laughs> hours with you. Um, 
And I just want to, if you could help us, what's, what's one good practical, I feel like you've already said it, but just wrap us up with one good practical thing that we could all be doing during, not just during this season, mm-hmm. but you know, the great thing about, uh, about the opportunities that you have in your role uh, with child welf- welfare is that you talk about this all the time, not just when we're in the middle of a global mm-hmm. health crisis, but so what is something we can do all the time to bring hope to our neighbor? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the nice thing about this season is uh, we're all going to really run out of things to watch on Netflix very quickly. <laughs> and so um, so there is the opportunity to actually read. And yes. I would take a look at the Science of Hope and really um, kind of take a look at what the literature is saying around, um, around, around hope, around how to help people be hopeful and be hope dealers. And then to, for us to really be thoughtful about how do we start to incorporate that in our day-to-day actions? And I think if, if folks will spend a little bit of time learning about it, then they can also turn that into action steps. And right now, there are many different ways that, that people can, in a sense, be hope dealers, um, whether it is some of the things we've talked about, calling and checking on people, giving people space to talk about what they're struggling with, finding ways to tangibly support each other. Um, and those are the kinds of, I think, action steps that are not only useful in this immediate, but can we take advantage of the, the fact that we don't have so many other things to do? Right. That we really are focused right now. We have only a few things. We have time to read, time to hang out with our kids, time to um, you know, connect with people intentionally because we have to work at it mm-hmm. to do it. Um, so that when our lives do get busier, we've already sort of built the muscles in a sense to be thinking about how can I help people move um, through their pathways? How can I help them? If I'm a hope dealer, how can I help understand what you hope for and and assume that it's my responsibility, if I can, to try to help you take one step closer to that? That's the frame of mind that I think we can begin to have now in a crisis that will um, stay in place with us as we go beyond this crisis. That would be, it would change the world. That's so true. That's so good. And um, I'm going to assume that Hope Rising, the book that we've been discussing, Mm -hmm. the authors? Chan Hellman and... Casey Gwynn. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jen Hellman and Casey Gwynn. And they're in that book. And then there's a number of studies. There's something like over 2,000 studies on hope the as science a science. Okay. Um, but that book is an easy read. And, and they can so, get it at Amazon um, or just all can. your basic? It's on okay. Amazon. I'm not, I'm not making any royalties off of this or anything like that. It's just <laughs> hey, a great book it's that we great really book. like. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, so super excited about that message and sharing that message. Well, thank you so much again for being here. And really, we're going to have to have you back because there are just to. so many great things for you to share with us and your wisdom is vast. So thanks again. You bet. Thank you. And uh, we won't see you guys this week at church, but we'll see you this week online. 